Yeah, whatever. I'll just not be there at some point when you're talking about the name. I'll be talking to be like, what do you think of the name Dolphin Village? And just silence. Yeah. It's like, you have no opinion, Kyle? And I'll hear a toilet flush in the background. Whatever. I can tell when you're, like, getting going. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> because it happens 18 times an episode. <laughs> Howdy, it's Sunday, March 26, 2017, and this is episode 40 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City Casino Biz podcast. I'm Kyle Askin, and joined, as always, by Craig Stone. What's good, Craig? Feeling good. Glad to be here. Episode 40, which seems insane. I know, right? It's It seems like a big number. Is there any name or anything for 40, anything that we should be like, oh yeah, this is the whatever episode, like you had the... What was it? The the green chip episode for 25? I don't think there's anything two, for 40. The two yellow chip episode? <laughs> yeah. Which everybody's like, what the hell is a yellow chip? Except for you, because it's your favorite thing <laughs> in f- all of Atlantic City. My favorite thing at Borgata. It's great. It's the best. One dollar yeah. commission. It was better when Caesars used to have the yellow chips, too. But I don't think yeah. I was ever going there when they had eleven when they had yellow chips. Uh, you, I, I don't think it was that long ago that they took them away, but you probably weren't playing Pi Gow yet. I played Pi on my first trip. Oh. They probably had yellow chips by then. <laughs> uh, it, I do seem to remember a much more consistent and makes sense in my head commission. Unlike the incredibly difficult to remember $1.25 commission. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to figure out that if it's a quarter for every $5, how many quarters it is for for 25 Yeah, and if you owe $1.25, giving them $0.75 cents gets you nothing. <laughs> That, was that did trip. happen last uh, trip for people who weren't there. <laughs> Craig had a $25 bet out and then tried to give the guy 75 cents for commission. And he just stared at you and was like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> My brain was addled by the, you know, <laughs> Ebola virus or whatever the heck I had. So, <laughs> so we're, we're here 40 episodes. It seems like a decent time. Do you have any kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say retrospectives, but like, are you impressed that we've, come this far did you expect that when we started or yeah for some reason like i thought we were going to be i I felt good about it about the the longevity if only because there was so much lead up where we had kicked around the idea of doing it right well maybe that's something we should talk about because you know we've we talked about a few episodes ago and i think it was a pretty popular segment how we got into gambling maybe we should kind of talk about the the genesis of the podcast yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the very first episode, but I don't think we got into too much detail about, like, I think, I mean, we mostly just joked about, like, having the domain for years and not right. doing much which, with it. Which we did. Um, so, sure, do you want to, do you want to start? Or Yeah, I can, I can kind of give you my recollection of it, and then you can, you know, counter with, with some of your recollections, which are different than mine, but, uh. Right, so we first went together to Atlantic City in, what, 2010? Yeah, January or February 2010. Right, and so after that, you know, we would... It's just something that we would talk about all the time on on Gchat. I mean, I know this is going to be a surprise to our listeners, but you're someone who likes to hit people up on Gchat and talk to them. And uh, so we were talking about Atlantic City, like, literally every day. Maybe not every day, but all the time. Yes. And, uh, uh, if it was not every day, it was very close. <laughs> and and not, it was just yeah. one of those things, like a couple years later, we were, I don't know, we were just always talking about gambling stuff. And I don't know, some somehow do for a win became like an inside joke because, you know, there's this idea in baseball or kind of in anything in life where you can be quote unquote do, which of course is gambler's fallacy, which is kind of part of the inside joke of our name. But you know, all the time if the hitter's in a big slump, you know, the announcers will say he's due. But, you know, anyway, we would talk about due for a win a bunch and we'd always, I'd be like, you know, and I noticed that the domain was available and I, it was something that I was like, hey, the domain's available, you know, should we buy it and start our gambling site there? And, you know, we joked about it for a few months before I actually did it one day. Um, so that was where the site came from. And then I, I think it was probably shortly after that we talked about uh, getting together and 
doing a podcast kind of jokingly at first, but, um, you know, we were both really big fans of, I think specifically, uh, the Vegas gang and, and Vegas tripping and, and the podcast and content they put out. And, you know, there was nothing out there for Atlantic city at all, which is where we always went. Um, so just after kind of talking about it and joking about it for a few years, we finally kind of buckled down and decided that we'd give it a shot for real. And that was November of 2015, right? So how does that differ from your, your recollection? What would you add to that? When we first sort of created the site or you first bought the domain, I was thinking more along the lines of, of blog posts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it certainly started as, you know, podcasting wasn't even something we talked about by by then, I don't think. That was something that came along later. Right. And I sort of had grand plans of like, you know, you're going to talk about the like gambling stuff and I'm going to talk about the my thoughts about the casino business side and like we're going to have this crazy design site and have all kinds of content. And of course, that never happened. We wrote like three sort of scattered blog posts in the... Mm-hmm. traditional WordPress reverse chronology <laughs> format yeah. of newest post on top. Um, and, you know, we kind of like joked around about a lot of content. I think we have several like half started posts still in draft form from four or five years ago in mm-hmm. the, in the WordPress dashboard. But uh, I think as we listen to more podcasts, like definitely listening to Vegas gang um, and their sort of style of, talking really about the business side. I mean, uh, not just the business side, but like almost the development side, I think like the, like what's going on in Vegas in the industry that's cool and interesting and like that kind of stuff. And then Vegas tripping where they talked more about sort of the experience of Vegas. Like, what do you like to do? What is it that sort of draws you to this place? And the combination of those two things, I think are really what made me think like, Yes, those are the things that I like, but about Atlantic City. Like, that's like, I'm really interested in the business. Obviously, there's a lot going on in Atlantic City as far as closings. And, you know, I think we spend a ton of time on Gchat just talking about Google Hangouts now, I guess, just talking about, you know, what's going to happen with this property? You know, when is is this hard rock thing actually going to happen? Like, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, this, uh, the podcast really is just an extension of all the conversations we used to have over Gchat. Yeah, and I think that's really, like, where we started talking about the podcast after, I think, like, you had listened to Vegas Gang much longer than I had, I think. Mm-hmm. And after, I think, I started listening to, like, Vegas Gang, Vegas Tripping, um, 500 by Midnight, like, that's when I started thinking, like, we should do this for Atlantic City. And we joked about it a bunch of times, I think, like, half-heartedly, like, sort of half-joking. Right. <laughs> and then we were like, you know, we're talking about it all the time anyway. So why don't we just record it and see where it goes? And I had sort of had that idea with the blog. Like I had sort of thought like our discussions would feed the blog posts, but like just posting a chat transcript, it doesn't make for good. Incredibly uninteresting. (laughs) And I mean, you can't, I mean, the whole joy of a podcast, I think is it's sort of like to some extent, some stream of conversation, stream of consciousness conversation that you get to have with someone. And you know, that's the content you put out. Whereas if you, kind of like make a post that's like half researched, like half doesn't have a point or anything you're trying to go to. It's just like terrible, right? It's just a big difference in the medium. Yeah. And the way it's received is also very different because you have to be very active to be reading something and it has to really capture you to keep reading it and to be interested in it. And so if it's just going to be like sort of, writing your thoughts or like, you know, half, like you said, half researched, half baked sort of thoughts. Like maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't in a podcast form. It's like you listen on your commute. You listen when you're at the gym. It's more of a, it's more based on personality than it is based on, I think like sort of, if you're writing something, you have to have a, have a real reason for like, what is the goal of the article almost. And I think with the podcast, it's more about like, Hey, let's just shoot the shit about Atlantic city, which is much more fun to do. Right. I don't know. I mean, for me, the podcast that I like, whether it's gambling podcasts or like some of the just random sort of classic three dudes in a room around microphones, what makes the show good. Isn't whatever the topic is. It's sort of like, are the people interesting to listen to? Do they know the topic? 
Right. I mean, you're sort of in effect, like almost hanging out with them. It feels like, like it's weird to meet people who you listen to on podcasts all the time because it's like, I feel like I know a lot about your personality, but you have like no idea who the hell I am, <laughs> um, which I've had that experience a couple of times, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where sort of where we came about. And then we finally were just like, I think only like a week before we actually recorded the first episode said like, let's do this for real. Like let's record an episode and just see where it goes. And then just started doing it. I think we originally talked about monthly and very quickly realized like as we were trying to build agendas that it needed to be every other week or it just was, you were never going to finish an episode. Like they were going to be so insanely long or you were just going to have to skip a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've just stuck with that ever since. It's been pretty much every other week. I mean, obviously, we had an episode last week and an episode this week, but um, yeah, forty episodes in, and and we're still going, still going strong. I mean, strong still... is subjective, but <laughs> no, I don't know. I still enjoy doing it, and I can't imagine stopping. So, yeah, all the way to into the hundreds. Yeah, that would be <laughs> for a biweekly podcast. It's would be crazy that's a long time that's like you know you're talking like almost four years at that point but yeah shout out to uh you can bet on that right they're in the hundreds they are in the hundreds yeah and they're also bi-weekly yep uh so on wednesday i'm going to try to get out there and and meet up with dr mike assuming that that is still his plan to go to national harbor on wednesday so hopefully i'll get to see him there that would be pretty cool go play some 50 dollar craps on a wednesday night at Eh, it'll probably be 25 (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, it'll be expensive, but it'll be good. It's worth it. It's worth it to meet Dr. Mike. Yeah, I I think so. I think it'll it'll be good. So hopefully, I mean, that still happens. I'm I'm planning on doing that. And I, if you're in the kind of Mid Atlantic, Maryland, Virginia DC area, you know, I I would highly recommend that you try to do that as well. And if you don't know who Dr. Mike is, uh, for me right now, I'd say that the best gambling podcast out there is you can bet on that. So you should be listening to it. Yeah, I agree completely. Just like their knowledge of gambling and the way they discuss total in totally sort of geographically agnostic, if that's the right word terms, like they kind of talk about gambling in a way that, you know, it's not specific to Vegas. It's not specific to any, any sort of town or casino. It's just about gambling for fun people who go to the casino and play it's not about advantage play or anything like that it's like i want to go to the casino and have fun what's the best podcast to listen to i totally agree it's you can bet on that i mean i think right now just in general i think if you like gambling it it is the best podcast in the in the industry and and like, like i said you know i you know what really got me interested was a lot of the stuff that chuck was putting out whether it was vegas gang or or Vegas tripping and like that the website was something I used to check all the time back before we had a website or before we had a podcast. But, um, you know, since, since I think that none of those guys are super interested in Vegas particularly anymore, or at least that's the impression I get. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, right. For for me right now, it's definitely, you can bet on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good, so it's, people are calling this tripod, T-R-Y-Pod month, I guess. And and you can bet on that just in their last episode listed all the podcasts that they listen to. I don't think we need to, to do that. <laughs> I think we probably yeah. have in the past, but but certainly you can bet on that is when you should be listening to. go. And if you're Vegas, interested in Vegas, like going back and listening to the old Vegas tripping podcasts, because I think they're sort of like not really time sensitive like the way they talk about stuff, like I've gone back and listened to the early episodes and they're just like sort of the way they talk about the feeling of Vegas is very cool to me. So I would recommend that one also. Cool. So should we actually get to the news? I think that was 20 some minutes of, <laughs> of chatter, chatter. That's not, not news. news. Yeah, uh, let's get it. That's good. All right. So let's start out with the most important news story of the past. Uh, well, it's actually probably past three weeks since our last episode did not have any news in it. Um, they're changing the soap at Caesars, right, Greg? I mean, that's certainly what I can gather. Uh, Daryl McHugh and Seven Stars Insider posted a picture on Twitter. I retweeted it, uh, saying that they have new soap, uh, at the, at Caesars Atlantic City. It it is, um, not the Gilchrist and Soaps, Gilchrist and Soames soap that you have known for years at Caesars. 
it is molten brown. So I don't know if this is at all the Caesars properties in the land. I don't know if it's just Caesars AC. I don't know if it's just like seven stars, like high, the high roller rooms in, in Caesars AC. Uh, I'm assuming that it's everywhere, though. I'm assuming that Qua branded Gilchrist and Soam stuff is gone, and you'll be getting molten brown soap uh, in the future. And to me, the Gilchrist and Soames soap, I don't, e- I don't even love it. And certainly when I first went, I was like, wow, they give you really shitty soap at Caesars. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've grown to love it because I associate the smell with AC in Vegas because I've stayed in Total Rewards <laughs> properties so many times in both AC and Vegas. that It's like that's the soap and the shampoo and the lotion and everything like that I use in these, in these hotels. And so you just walk around smelling like it all the time. And, like, every once in a while, you'll go somewhere and you'll, like, get a whiff of something very similar. And you'll be like, oh, it smells like Caesars. This is awesome. Or, like, <laughs> this reminds me of the time that I stayed at whatever, like, Flamingo, which maybe that's not necessarily a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you want to smell like Flamingo. It's <laughs> um, not a good thing. So I'm interested. Like, I'm weirdly intrigued. And, like, I really want to know. Like, what does it smell like? I want to know. Is that uh, is that really strange? <laughs> a little bit. It's not not strange. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah i I have to say i'm not enamored with you know we were talking about this before we came on the air but uh, i'm not particularly enamored with caesar soaps and since i just bring my gym bag to atlantic city which has soap and shampoo in it i usually just end up using my own stuff unless i go to a property which actually has just by looking at it if i look at it and i'm like that looks like nice soap i'll use it but for the most part, I just use my own stuff, but I do have to say that Caesar's soap never particularly impressed me. So perhaps it's an upgrade. Yeah, I mean, I'm told Borgata has very good stuff, mm-hmm. which obviously I didn't get a chance to try since I didn't actually stay there last trip. Um, I actually the the resorts like sort of Caswell Massey or whatever it is. It has, <laughs> it's like a lime almost scented uh, soap. I actually really like that. Uh, that's weird, but you're like the world expert on casino soaps. So I actually had this conversation on like a random blog, like a sports blog. And I made some comment about like, oh, I listened to a bunch of like Vegas nerd podcasts. And somebody was like, what the hell is a Vegas nerd? And my response to that was, do you ever wonder what casino has the best soap? Because if you do, then that is the type of person that's a Vegas nerd. And I think... I mean, that sort of sums it up, like the weird little things that you think about in terms of like what makes a hotel good and what changes the experience. Like that's like Vegas nerdery or like casino industry, people who really like get off on that stuff. So Mm -hmm. here it is, the soap. Which casino has the best soap? We'll have to to get some reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Next time I go, I'll be taking some of that shit home with me. That's for sure. Yep. (laughs) Uh, That's way more time than I thought we'd spend on soap, I got to say, but. Um, All right, you want to do the next story about the booze? The booze news? Booze. <laughs> um, so the the biggest thing, Little Water Distillery, uh, their tasting room had its grand opening yesterday, Saturday uh, the 25th, and packed the house apparently. Route 40 tweeted out a picture of them, and, and it was very crowded. Uh, this is a liquor distillery, the first one in Atlantic City. We've talked about it on previous episodes do you want to go on our next trip to Little Water, Little Water Distillery's tasting room, Kyle? Yeah, I don't see why not. It was, it's interesting because when the news first broke about this happening, I was like, yeah, that'd be cool to go to. Like, I'll pop by sometime. And, like, the more I've thought about it, it's, like, a must-do for me. Like, I want to do it the next time oh, really? I go. Yeah, I really want to check it out. I'm very, I, very I check it out. I've never, I've never been to a distillery. You know, I've been to zillions of breweries and... You know, I think they're always fun to go to. I I really enjoy being in the kind of, I don't know, industrial setting that all the breweries are in and standing in this gigantic room and with huge tanks and drinking beer. So I don't know how a distillery would compare, but I'd be interested in doing it, but I'm not as into it as it sounds like you are. Yeah, I'm very into it. I said, I think I said the first episode we talked about Little Water that I had never been on a distillery tour and that was a big lie because I've been to the Jim Beam distillery in kentucky uh which is sort of like bourbon disneyland in that they have all these like basically fake buildings set up 
<laughs> like to look very old but are not old and it's like they've clearly set up the experience of jim beam more than like actually like this is the manufacturing plant and that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. um or like a good example is like hershey's chocolate world in hershey <laughs> um you get that sort of experience but for bourbon i mean it was cool it was worth doing but i expect you get sort of a more authentic experience going to another smaller distillery uh but i think it would be very cool i'm interested um i don't know so when are, when are they going to open a brewery in ac Correct. oh well i mean the news about that is actually that some that a i think it's a i don't i think it's actually a new jersey brewery i should have this information on the hand but i don't um i want to say it's a pennsylvania brewery is looking at moving into the space at little water Mm-hmm. Um, as part, I think with some funding as part of like, a, I don't know if it's like New Jersey, small business or Atlantic city, small business, but, mm-hmm. um, actually trying to move into that space. So it's an established microbrewery looking to move into that space. But, um, the last I had heard was that it's like tentative, not necessarily done. Um, the guy running the brewery said like, as, as soon as he gets the money, he's like ready to make it happen. But, um, I feel like I'm very full of half information or half <laughs> whatever, half complete information. But, uh, yeah. so that, but that might happen. And I, a brewery would be great in Atlantic city. Like it would, yeah, that, that'd be cool. Uh, and beyond, and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about just like, you know, a Gordon Biersch or whatever, like a place that happens to brew their own stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but is mainly a restaurant, like a BJ's kind of place, but like an actual legit brewery that's distributing beer, um, would be very cool. Yep. Um, uh, so speaking of beer, yeah. So the uh, the Atlantic City Beer Festival, Beer and Music Festival, is next weekend, uh, March thirty first and April first. Which I don't know if you know about this, but there was a little bit of discussion among some people down here to maybe go, but I can't go because my wife is going to Italy starting next weekend. So I am on solo kid duty, but uh, I have been to an AC Beer Festival in the past. But anyway. Uh, the AC Beer and Music Festival is next weekend. Um, so there's three sessions to it. Uh, a Friday night session and then a s- kind of Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. Um, and according to the notes which you put on, it sounds like there's still tickets available to any of the three sessions. And speaking from experience, I mean, it's it's super cool. Um, if you like beer and like Atlantic City, it's definitely an awesome thing to check out. I think when we went, we had a great time. So do you have anything more to say? Yeah. I mean, we had an awesome time and we went, I think it was our friend Craig's bachelor party. What? Six, five or six years ago now, but, uh, um, yeah, pre, so at that time it was much yeah, like more, yeah, it was, it was much more focused on just the beer. I think the now beer. they have much more live acts. Um, but it's, you know, 150 breweries, you get a four hour session ticket. They give you a little glass and you just go to the different booths and fill up. Um, so I think the Saturday tickets are 60 bucks. I want to say Friday's a little cheaper, like in the thirties. Um, but I checked this afternoon and it did look like you get tickets for any of the events. And, uh, that's a little interesting because it, it sold out very fast. I think the last couple of years, um, I, I'm not sure if they increased the price. I know it wasn't 60 when we went. <laughs> I think it was in the 40s, but it was like 40, I think. Um, but it's a much bigger event, I think, than when we went. And I would say if you're in the area and if you like craft beer, like it's it's a very cool time. Um, you will not leave sober, <laughs> that's no. for sure. Uh, and there's like a fill line on your little cup, at least when we went, and everybody just completely overfilled it. Like everybody filled your cup. Yeah. so i mean again this was six years ago who knows what it's like now but uh i think that's fairly standard for like these big beer festivals is like yes. you're gonna get more drunk than than you expect but <laughs> i mean and, and i the think i was expecting to get freely. kind of drunk and i still was more drunk than i expected <laughs> i think most people and we went to the afternoon one too so it was yeah. like 3 p.m and i was wasted yeah so. and I, th- I think most people ended up napping between then and like dinner <laughs> i didn't nap but choice. i don't think i was in good shape um, so yeah, check that out if you're in the area next weekend. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, hard rock. Yeah. A little, little bit so, of updates. So yeah, we talked about it, you know, more two episodes ago before we went to Atlantic city. Um, a few more things came out, pieces of news and or rumors, I guess maybe this is more on the rumor side, but, uh, one thing that, that came out was that hard rock 
was looking into perhaps buying the Rebel instead from Glenn Straub, which I don't think is huge news. I mean, it was something that was rumored for a long time, either when, you know, Brookfield actually had a contract on it, but then after Glenn Straub was in and not doing anything, Hard Rock was always mentioned as a possible buyer, and then after the power company was brought into the fold, Hard Rock was mentioned as a possible buyer. So I, I don't think that's surprising news at all. I mean, they've been kind of tied to this property for as long as it's been for sale. Yeah, and Hard Rock was also mentioned as a possible casino management partner when, I mean, just as pure yep. speculation, but when uh, the two Borgata executives left for Hard Rock, that was also mentioned as like a very sensible solution, and, and clearly that seems to not be the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. So another thing that came out is that, so Hard Rock did buy the Taj Mahal, which is owned by Carl Icahn, who also owns Tropicana, and Trump Plaza, which has been closed for three years now. Um, so something that came out is that Carl Icahn was actually looking to move both Trump Plaza and Trump Taj to Hard Rock, but Hard Rock was not interested in the plaza, um, which is not strange to me because for me, I don't know why they ever would be interested in the plaza. I mean, can you think of something to do with that property for them? It, I mean, it, I, it would be a complete burden, I think, if, especially yeah, if you're not an, an active player in Atlantic City. Like, to go in not just with one property, but, like, with the property that you want and then the property that you don't know what to do with, especially with the news that they don't really know if they can tear it down. <laughs> like, that sounds awful. Right. I mean, for, for me, like, if I was coming in and trying to buy the Taj and I was given an offer to also buy the plaza with it i mean i think i would like that would not make the deal more expensive like the deal would have to be cheaper for me to even consider that i think yeah so this was a new york post article um which you know say whatever you want about the new york post or like take that for whatever (laughs) uh value you you put in the new york post but um the the article does mention that there's a million dollar a year lease uh, land lease on the property under the Trump Plaza. So if it's even if it's a matter of oh you're buying the Taj, let's I'll throw in the Trump Plaza. You can have it for free. No, it's yeah. The answer it, would be no. I, the answer would be no, right? Yeah, I mean, and this, it's a million dollars a year through 2078, according right. to the article. So so there's this lease. There's you know there's always some like maintenance and upkeep costs, even though it doesn't have to be a ton of money, and I suspect that it's not very well kept up i mean there's the fact that you you know the property itself is probably reasonably valuable but you know demolishing the building as we've kind of talked about a few weeks ago is not something that you can just do because of boardwalk hall it's just a huge nightmare and it's it just would be hard for it to be worth it considering the shape that that building's in yeah i just can't can't imagine it (laughs) um so i think that was ed in the facebook group who uh, yep. tipped us off to that article. So thanks to Ed for, for sending that along. Um, and the original headline said something about he's struggling to sell Trump Taj Mahal. And actually the URL still says icon struggling to sell Taj Mahal, <laughs> which if you mm-hmm. read the actual article, I mean, clearly it was after he sold the Taj Mahal, they meant Trump Plaza, but, uh, right. well, I think, I mean, you're, you're the person that knows this more because you are the journalist, but I mean, I think it's very normal that you know, if you write a story, you do not choose the title. It's the editors and SEO people and marketing and whoever else that actually pick the title and put it put it up, right? Yeah, for web people, for web especially, it's almost certainly some SEO person. Headline right. writers are typically Who not doesn't a, even read the story and just right. Yeah, so somebody else made the mistake, you know, and and unfortunately, right. it's like not that uncommon, especially now that copy editors are getting fired left and right. But that's probably more journalism industry stuff than you. <laughs> need to know <laughs> um what else do you want to talk about hard rocks northern jersey plans right so hard rock you know as we talked about kind of in the run-up to the referendum on north jersey casinos hard rock was always mentioned as the, the people who are going to build the casino at meadowlands and they came out and said that they are still planning on doing that if the referendum ever passes um so for me I mean, that's, I mean, it totally makes sense and there's no reason they wouldn't do that. But so let's say the referendum does pass, you know, I think right now it's pretty strongly considered that, well, it is closed, but 
a year ago when there was chatter about this, you know, everyone said the first casino to close will be the Taj, right? So, you know, presumably Hard Rock will not be closing their casino in Atlantic City, even if they're opening one in, in Meadowlands, right? Yeah, I mean, and the the referendum, as it was written for the most recent election, said that you had to, or not that you had to, but if you owned a casino in Atlantic City, you would get the first crack at licenses outside mm. of Atlantic City in New Jersey. I expect if this thing goes back on the ballot, that's not going to be the case necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, because I don't think that's what, people are worried about i think it's more about the clarity of where the money is going what the tax rate's going to be like those things were not clear uh so it's interesting that they it's interesting but not surprising that they're still interested but you know if the casino comes to the meadowlands it's going to make a lot of money and there's no reason for them not to do it like they already had the the agreement in place you can say oh they're taking business away from themselves but if there's a ton of money to be made you know, if you're not making that money, someone else is going to be making yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, it, ma- it makes sense for them. It's just, it's just the fact that they're actually buying the Taj and and saying that because, like I said, you know, at least in recent history, the Taj was always the most precarious of all the casinos, which played out because they are the ones that closed. But yeah, but also the management. I mean, that's a management thing you would expect. You know, would play a big mm-hmm. role um, because I think certainly Trump, Trump Plaza, Trump Taj. Um, before Icon bought it and and also in Tropicana, like they were probably the worst managed casinos and certainly the worst kept up casinos um, in in the city, uh, especially if you include the marina, <laughs> the Trump marina. Mm. Uh, and then Icon came in and he, I think, moved some of the Tropicana people or put it under the same umbrella as, as some of the Tropicana people, like Tony Rodeo uh, was running both, I think, at one time. And... And those were better managers, but, you know, they didn't have that long before the strike happened and, and before decisions had to be made and, and the, the Taj mm-hmm. ended up closed. But uh, I, I think Hard Rock's probably assuming, like, the cachet of the name, of the the visibility of the property is going to play well in Atlantic City. And, um, you know, who knows? They can always see how it goes and, and close it. Everybody's always making those decisions every day. <laughs> you know, you, you make the decision with the information that you have on hand at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, let's say a, a new, you know, whatever, something happens and tomorrow they announce like, Hey, we don't need a referendum. Like we're just, this is happening, whatever. Chris Christie and Steve Sweeney get together and there are going to be casinos in North Jersey, which I don't think they can, but whatever. So what, what, like which casino do you think would be the first in Atlantic City to close, or the which casinos do you think would close? Because we were talking about before when we were having this conversation eight months ago or whatever that you know the numbers brought up were like three or four casinos or maybe even five would close. Do you think any differently about that now? Uh, a great question. The obvious answer I think is that you know ten just never opens. Like they mm-hmm. just see sort of no path to profitability and decide not to open. Um, but that's, that's sort of a dodge because they aren't, that's not a closing casino. That's mm-hmm. saying a casino is not going to open. Yeah, I, I think both either 10 and or hard rock, they both kind of count. So those can be options as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if it happened tomorrow and you know, hard rock, it didn't have a lot of investment into Taj right. yet. You know, we don't know what the purchase price is, but I'm guessing it's a lot less than that $300 million yeah. like purchase and renovation d- number. I It's totally possible that they would say, just kidding, just kidding, guys, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're going up north. Um, I mean, I, obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, this is just sort of an exercise for fun. But, um, you know, obviously, resorts is one that everybody kicks around as, as the, the sort of lowest gaming revenue performer. I, I keep wondering but, if, but if they have... I will say they're like, you know, reasonably independently owned. So, um, right. And I wonder if they have sort of an entrenched group of gamblers now that are local focused. And like you said, independent, they don't have to worry about like some parent company saying, well, we can actually make more money by closing you right. <laughs> as we've seen happen with Joe boat. So uh, I don't know. I mean, so what's so, your thought? So my, my position is that, I mean, the obvious choices would be resource at Golden Nugget, but, you know, maybe it's just 
I don't know how much better the data even is, but it just seems like there's a lot more optimism around Atlantic City. So I even wouldn't be shocked if they tried to stick it out for a bit. I mean, there's only one casino that I'm like, yes, they will close if this happens, and that's Bally's. Like, Bally's will be closed the second they do that. But again, that's, that's still, it's different because it's, because CET still owns three properties, and, you know, if they close Bally's, a lot of that revenue is going to move to Caesars or Harrah's. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, probably Golden Nugget and Resorts as well, but I'm not nearly as sure about those two as I was eight months ago, let's say. I agree with that totally. I think Bally's is, is by far the most likely just because it's sort of a a crunch, I guess, like the the big corporate crunch of, you know, lowering the operating costs and keeping a bunch of that revenue, which they could probably do. Uh, I agree. Like the optimism is interesting. I mean, a big part of, of that has been the hard rock purchase of the Taj. It sort of felt like just a a switch flipped and everybody was like, Oh wow. (laughs) Here's a company that is interested in buying this, this huge property and pumping a ton of money into it. And all of a sudden, like it almost made everything else that was sort of slow moving, like 10 and showboat. It almost made them seem much more positive because it's like, Oh, well, hard rock is part of this group of people investing. And so now there's like a really reputable company investing along with Glenn Straub. I mean, Bart Blatstein, very reputable. Let's not (laughs) throw that out there, but it's just like his, his time in AC has been checkered uh, versus sort of, well, these are just these two crazy people who happen to think that AC's, you know, going to go up and they invested bottom dollar so they don't have a lot of risk. Uh, it really does seem like something just clicked and everybody's like, wow, this is the optimism and myself included. Like I, it was really hard for me to sort of keep that in check. And maybe I didn't keep that in check of like, this is it. AC's coming back. You know, we're going to have 10 casinos two years from now. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't know if that really uh, makes any sense. It, it, it just feels different than a year ago, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's hard to put into words, but, you know, I'm always the optimistic one on this podcast anyway. And so you, you might have a slightly different feeling than me, but it just it feels right now like Atlantic City is kind of turning the corner. Yeah, and I think I mean it's it's hard to say on a podcast like it's hard to put into words, right? I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about like the podcast being sort of us shooting the shit versus like well thought out, you know, longer articles like you know the really good stuff that Route Forty would do. Um, but uh, it's interesting because I I agree completely. Like it really just feels incredibly different than a year ago because I think. A year ago, it was like Straub and and Blatstein and just hope, like just hoping that one of these guys would do it right, and maybe without a whole lot of stuff to back it up, <laughs> or like you know, maybe it would be good, maybe it would be really shitty. Showboat, mm-hmm. we've certainly seen the sort of shitty side of it, but <laughs> right. Uh, whereas Hard Rock comes in and it's like we know hard rock. Like we know that they are reputable in a big casino company who has run very successful casinos and they have deemed Atlantic city worthy and are going to put money into it. And so in a weird way, like it almost makes Straub and Blatstein look even smarter <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, and it, it just feels different. Like it feels different to have, well, for one thing, I mean, you've got three properties that were closed now with sort of concrete plans, for what's going to happen like not and not concrete as in like you definitely know that they're all going to open mm-hmm. and and be great but like plans that are much further along than just we have this idea <laughs> let's see what happens which seems to happen a lot and we'll talk about one of them in about two minutes <laughs> but uh yeah it really feels different it's and it's crazy how much just like the hard rock news changed that um for the better. Yeah. I mean, so to play a little bit of devil's advocate, you know, we, we can talk about Atlantic city turning the corner and how things seem to be looking up. But if you look at the gaming revenue, you know, and you take out online gaming, like that 
hasn't really turned around, right? So No, I mean it hasn't. And but I've always said I mean maybe maybe it's just, you know, maybe the optimism that we have is really is just a feeling and it's not backed up by you well, some of the data anyway. I mean, I think the more important piece of data are the investments, but but at least the gaming side certainly is not still isn't kind of coming around. Yeah, I have, so I have two thoughts on that. I mean, the first is you're right. The investment's very important. The gaming side is not the end all be all, and I think that's a mistake mm. that people make because 20 years ago it absolutely was the end all be all in Atlantic City, sure. um, but now. You know, the clubs, even at Revel, were very successful. Obviously, it wasn't enough to keep them, yep. <laughs> you know, solvent. But, um, you know, the the, the non-gambling revenue is becoming much more important, including room revenue, obviously restaurants, bars, clubs. Uh, the other side of that, if I can remember what my number two was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think like you said, and we've talked about on the podcast a little bit that Vegas has even kind of changed their model too. And a lot more of it is coming from this non gaming revenue side, whether it be something like resort fees or, or, you know, nightclubs or whatever. So uh, I I do think it's turning around. Um, I still don't think AC is seen as like a super great nightlife place, but I mean, plenty of people have always gone, honestly, much to our surprise in many cases, but (laughs) it is what it is. Um, oh, so uh, the other thing I was going to say, which started with, like I always said, <laughs> like I've always said, uh, mm-hmm. was there's still two and a half billion dollars of, of just gaming revenue coming into Atlantic City. Right. And, and even if, even though that's shrinking and everybody likes to compare it to 2007 or whatever it was when it was over five, like that was probably not sustainable for one thing. And you don't need 5.2 or whatever billion dollars to sustain 10 casinos. Right. And really with $2.5 billion, you should be able to sustain 10 good casinos that are run well, that do other things very well also. So it's a question of, can you bring in the people who do all the other stuff who want to spend $200 on a really fancy meal and want to go to the club afterwards and get bottle service and want to go to a show and maybe you're just going to gamble a little bit after the show or after dinner. And that's something that Vegas has totally gone toward. And Atlantic City, I think, is trying to get there, but it's taken, it's, you know, chugging along and it's taken a while. All right. Cool. So you want to move on? Talk sure. about the steel pier some? Yeah. So I said we were going to talk about something else in two minutes. Um, but uh, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. So steel pier, uh, they have begun their preparations, um, which sounds much more preliminary than it actually is, uh, to build a 225-foot observation wheel smack in the middle of the pier. They're hoping for a mid-July opening. So when I say that they've begun preparations, it's not like they're drawing up the blueprints. It means that they are actually like pulling up parts of the boardwalk and setting down reinforcements, building access roads. Uh, they've actually been talking about this since 2013. And I learned all of this uh, – well, I knew that they were talking about it since 2013, but I've, I learned most of this actually through uh, AC, Primetime, AC Primetime Radio. Uh, Mel Taylor, who, who runs that, had an interview with the Steel Pier owner and president, Anthony Catanoso. Uh, very interesting interview. I linked to it on Twitter. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and he talked a lot about sort of the plans – what they needed to do if you care about sort of what has to happen to the boardwalk to make something like this possible. Uh, very interesting. Um, they get into <laughs> well, like so, the cranes so we, and stuff like that. Yeah, we but. actually talked a little bit about this. It was like probably episode like three or something, but that was when the steel pier was defaulted mm-hmm. on their loans. And basically the bank or whoever they owed money to said they were going to come take all of the rides. And the steel yeah. pier is like, well, you're actually going to have to pay like $5 million to do that because you have to reinforce the boardwalk to take them. <laughs> right. I think the threat, they threatened something like half come, you know, repo half the rides or whatever. Right. <laughs> and steel pier was like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> It'll cost it's going to be more expensive for you to do that than right. you would make from taking our rides. Um, but yeah, seem, things it's seems come like, full circle. Yeah. And it seems like things have definitely turned around for them. Um, and and they're very very Anthony Catanoso was very excited about Hard Rock because of what that means for being very close to them, right? Um, and bringing people to that portion of the boardwalk. Uh, so he said that this this 225 foot wheel is going to be open year round. It has climate controlled gondolas, so this is not some 
big ferris wheel where you put down a bar like you're on a ski lift and you just go around the thing like this is a legit observation wheel uh they had a 70 foot wheel so this is actually more than three times the size of that one um like i mentioned hard rock i think is very big for them Catanoso in the interview with Mel Taylor said that the strike cost them at least 10% of their business this past summer, which is kind of shocking. Uh, and he said really just the fact that, you know, not only draining the Taj sort of customer base, but also like people didn't really want to go over there with all the strikers walking around. Yep. Uh, so the other thing, I always thought that Taj was like a pretty firm partner with Steel Pier. Um, I mean, they have the walkway and everything, right? <laughs> right. And, and I think sort of advertised, you know, not necessarily like steel pier at Taj, but, um, advertised that it was sort of a connected thing. But he said that that wasn't not necessarily didn't say that that was not true, but he said that they were really committed within the last year or so. Um, and they, like they had that flying Walendas event and, um, so it'll be interesting to see sort of how hard rock works with them. If they sort of have a more active relationship versus just like, we happen to be adjacent or across from each other on the boardwalk. Um, mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting to see. So are you, uh, excited about the new Ferris wheel thing? I mean, I don't know how well the high roller does. That's the obvious kind of comparison you could make, but, um, I don't know. Are you excited? Is it something you would ever do? Uh, so I hate heights. So that's a that's a uh, something to point out. So the high roller in Vegas, uh, which is the thing over by the link um, or on the link promenade, is 550 feet tall. So it's like exactly twice the size of this one. So it's much bigger. Obviously, whatever Vegas Strip is much bigger and taller. Mm. So it needs to be bigger to see everything. I expect 275 will be plenty to see uh, see everything. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would do it. I'm interested. It's, uh, I mean, it's enclosed gondola, so it's probably, it's 225, not 275. But it would probably be, you know, enclosed enough that I'm not going to be, like, completely <laughs> like terrified. Pass out and on the floor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing that the high roller does is the booze car, which I'm guessing right. that this one won't have. But, I mean, yeah. you, you add booze to anything, and I'm suddenly more interested. So uh, it, they should consider. That is pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I think high roller actually has two booze cars. And, you know, whatever, however many non-booze cars. But, I mean, I think that's kind of like a – could be a big draw if they can do that. But who knows? I mean, to me, the big draw of it is just going to be that you're going to see it from all over the boardwalk. I mean, you're going to be right. walking down the boardwalk and you're going to see this thing sticking up and be like, whoa, there is a huge observation wheel. <laughs> and if it looks cool and it's all lit up and everything, people are going to say, I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to check out the steel pier. So, I mean, I'd just- definitely do it. At, at least at night it will – be a good photo op probably from the top yeah i expect it'll be very cool like out on on the pier on the ocean looking down all the way to tropicana with the you know tropicana now is insanely bright in the front i guess it's not the frontage it's like the rearage of tropicana it, it is incredibly bright on the boardwalk um and and so i actually go to ocean city new jersey every year with my family and like if you go out onto the beach by where their the condo is that we rent out Tropicana is just like it's like a light bulb it's insane and this is from you know towns away and you just see this thing just lit up like day and it's that is the Tropicana now because of all those huge video boards but uh yeah it'll be I think this will be really cool and uh and I hope it does really well cool so here's kind of the big piece of news that we spoiled a little bit last week but um Atlantic Club was sold to people who are looking to turn it into an indoor water park, which is a story we've heard before, but um, it sounds like it's more likely this time. If you want to talk a little bit about that. So I don't think the sale is final yet. Um, it's, they have an agreement with TJM properties who own, who owns the uh, former Atlantic club. They bought it from, I guess, Caesars who bought it uh, in a partnership with Tropicana, very convoluted, but uh, so it's R and R Development Group has this agreement to purchase the property. They plan to build a 100,000 square foot indoor water park and arcade. Uh, the managing partner is Robert A. Young. He called it Dolphin Village at Atlantic Club. Uh, do you think that will be the final name? Um, maybe. I, I don't know. I have no. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know. I'm not sure why I would doubt them, but 
I, I just can't imagine that Dolphin Village survives to like end up on the exterior of that building. Um, maybe uh-huh. the maybe the water park would be called Dolphin Village, but I can't imagine the like hotel resort itself is called Dolphin Village. But maybe I'm I'm crazy. Uh, maybe a better question is: Do you think that this actually happens? We've because we have been down this road. Like there was not uh, uh, there were plans. I don't know that they ever had an agreement in place. And and Robert mm-hmm. Young took. I think Nicholas Huba and some other reporters on a tour. Yeah, it was definitely Nicholas Huba and some other reporters on a tour. Oh, yeah, I watched it. I saw the Dizzy Dolphin. Yeah, I mean, that was just amazing because it's like, oh, Atlantic Club, it's so good, right? Is that the impression you got? Because that's all I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, man, what a great place. And and other than taking out the slots in the video poker terminals, it looked like it was ready to open. I was like, I want to go get a drink. I want to go get a drink there right now. Yeah. I want to go to the little cafe up on the second floor or whatever. And <laughs> that is it. Andy, Andy hates it, hates that cafe because you guys would always go there when you were younger and would go to the Hilton all the time. I uh-huh. loved the cafe. Yeah, like I, th- to me, like sitting up the food, I thought was good. I, it's way, way better yeah, than the Caesars. Kind of don't do that anymore. Right. Cause we used to go to six all the time in Bally's too. And we, I haven't been this, whatever that is now. I don't even know if they have, something similar to that upstairs but i haven't been there in five years probably so now so part of that is, is that those things are gone right like six is now buca de beppo which is just like a chain italian mm. place uh caesar's has their coffee shop but it's horrible i mean the food's not great and the service is just garbage yeah, that is bad um i expect so bally's not have a coffee shop at all i mean i think it's just Dunkin'. i don't think they have sort of the classic casino coffee shop there uh golden nugget does i can't remember the name of it um michael patrick brasserie i think is their sort of cafe 24-hour place um if that name is wrong i wouldn't be surprised because i just pulled that out of my ass but uh yeah i'm not sure i mean borgata obviously has bread and butter uh so those things do exist but to me like the one well bread butter is still i mean it's not i don't know i still think that's a bit different you know, it's like fast casual. It's like you because you go up in order to register. It's not like the quintessential old time casino cafe. Yeah, that's like sort of almost diner. Well, breadsticks and resorts is one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which also overlooks the ocean. Because um, that is something that's like it seems like it's like a quintessentially casino thing. Like, like the two things you need to have, or like twenty years ago you needed to have if you were a casino were a buffet and a cafe, right? Yeah, and then you know. Probably you probably also have a noodle place and a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Like you got to make sure you check those boxes, right? And and the cafe had like you know whatever you could go and get a three dollar prime rib or something at the cafe <laughs> on Tuesday nights right. and the shrimp cocktail or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that the one at Atlantic Club, um, the I think it was just called the coffee shop, right? Atlantic Club. I I don't remember. Sort of up, elevated over the casino floor, and looked directly out on those huge marble arches uh, of the windows out onto the beach. And I just thought, like, that was someplace that I just sat and and looked around and thought to myself, like, you can see the Steve Wynn influence, and you can tell that this place back in its day was awesome. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think this is something I've said on the podcast before, but... You know, I've been with multiple people. I think both you and Taylor, like your first impression when you walked into Atlantic Club or ACH or, you know, whatever it was called the first time you walked in, I guess Hilton for Taylor, was like, this was a really nice place 30 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and for me, I don't think that hit me right away. I don't think it was like the immediate thing. But the more you walk around and, and look at like those kind of details the more you got that experience. And to me, like the coffee shop was quintessentially that experience where you're just sitting there looking at these like grand windows and you're like, wow, like Steve Wynn did this. (laughs) Like this looks like something that, that was awesome and really could have been, and maybe should have been like one of the nicest things in Atlantic city, if it had been kept up in sort of that classic style. Uh, So I don't, I don't think a water park in an arcade is going to do that, but, (laughs) but I'd love to see the space used again. It's it's kind of cool how, you know, you can walk into a place like that and be like, yeah, that's Steve Wynn. Or if you walk into the plaza or the uh, the Taj, you're like, this is definitely Donald Trump. You know, it's 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 pretty cool how much the... The personality. 
yeah, the personality of the owner kind of rubs through into the property, and you can just tell. Yeah, and they certainly have a design sort of whatever you call it type, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, for for me, I, I was going to say like the one place that I actually don't get that necessarily is like Golden Nugget does not feel as much that way to me, but like Trump Plaza for me still feels very much like Donald Trump and and the Taj. Like for me, they you know they're obviously were different, but they had the same sort of feel to them, and I actually don't get that as much at the Nugget. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the Nugget was not, I think it was mostly developed before he jumped in. Oh, was it? Why. Well, that, that could explain it. I, I, say I it didn't was, know that. Yeah, I want to say it was going to be like a Holiday Inn or something, but mm-hmm. um, maybe that's totally wrong. Uh, I'm just going to, this whole episode, I'm just going to speak with, with no <laughs> legit information. But uh, but I'm pretty sure he like sort of jumped in later on that um, and took it over. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Where, oh, we were talking about Atlantic Club. Um, yeah. So he's one thing that that uh, the managing partner uh, did say is, "quote They will refurbish the Steve Wynn designed and built hotel facility to restore it to its original glory." Uh, which I have to say, like, you're speaking my language. You're saying all the things I want to hear. <laughs> uh, they said they're investing 135 million dollars. Um, that includes, I think the construction of the water park, which will take a year to two years. He said that they're planning to open 300 rooms by the fall. So I don't, I don't know what you think about that. I mean, we've <laughs> been down this road, sense, right? Right. Like, like why, why would, why do that? For one thing, like we've talked about how much we hate the showboat because it's just rooms with nothing else. And for another thing, why would you ever open rooms in the fall, which is the worst possible time to open a hotel in Atlantic city? So, yeah, it's strange. Like, we just must not know the the industry, uh, yeah. the hotel industry, because to me it seems like there's no way that you can make enough room revenue to offset the cost of of having people work there and clean the rooms and mm-hmm. take reservations and do the check-in desk and all the other security and all the other stuff you need by having three rooms, 300 rooms open in – January, February, March, like, I just, I don't see it without a casino and without some other draw, but, you know, showboat's there and still open, so maybe I'm just completely wrong about how the math works there, and it actually doesn't take that much, uh, whatever you call it, occupancy rate to make it worth it, but I, I don't think this makes any sense at all. I'm very, very confused about this idea of opening 300 rooms in the fall. Yeah, it is weird. Um, they're still hoping to close. They have not closed yet. I don't think they're hoping to close within 50 days. That was as of two weeks ago. So I guess they're probably down to like 35 days. Um, how optimistic are you that this thing happens and that there is a whatever dolphin village or whatever future name they have at the Atlantic club? Um, fairly optimistic. I mean, it makes sense. I'm sure for these guys, like, I mean, Atlantic City's got to be a pretty cheap place for one of these guys to come in and get one of these big hotels that's not in that bad a shape, that, like, on the super cheap, that they don't need to do all that much, too. And, you know, these indoor water parks or whatever, you know, they're pretty big business. So I think it'll probably happen. I'd say over 50%. Uh, I'm probably a little under 50%. I'm probably more like 40%, but we've talked about our differences between Mm. (laughs) optimism and pessimism, but, um, I guess that's the glass half empty, but I do think, you know, you see in the Poconos, which is a place that's very seasonal, you know, uh, Great Wolf Lodge, Kalahari, like these are places that are making a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. They just, they just make bank and people go to places like Great Wolf Lodges around the country, like all year round, like people with little kids or whatever. Yeah, and the thing about Great Wolf is my understanding, at least, and maybe somebody will smack me down and say that this is not true at all, but, like, the reviews that I've read of Great Wolf Lodge is that it's, like, beat up. Like, the rooms are in pretty bad shape. They desperately need a refresh. I mean, part of that's that you've got very, very themed rooms that have a ton of little kids running in and out of them, and they're staying in bunk beds, and they're running up and down stuff, and, like, faux cabin sort of design does not probably hold up that well but uh i think my point here is you know it costs a ton of money to build something like that and to maintain it if you have an existing casino that's in decent shape and all you need to do is sort of build a big cube 
and and put water slides and stuff into it, it significantly reduces the amount of investment that it takes. So, you know, certainly I think with the right developer, and I don't know much about this R&R development group, um, I mean, I think it probably makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, there's nothing else like it on the Jersey Shore. You know, everything water park-wise is all basically on piers and outdoors. So I think it probably makes a ton of sense and, and would really change the dynamic um, of that end of the boardwalk. So I guess the other question is, does this play into your sort of optimism that we talked about, about the mood of Atlantic city, or is this more of like a symptom of like, Oh, these people are stepping in now because there is all this optimism. No, I think it kind of, I mean, look like, I don't know, success breeds success. Is that like some, like, you know, I mean, I think as some people come in, like more and more people rush in and then, Things are better. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of like the natural kind of flow of business. Yeah. Markets or whatever. Yeah. And this is kind of, and to me, this is like kind of what they need long term. Um, and one of the problems I would say that Atlantic City's had is that we've talked about this a bunch, but sort of this idea that the casinos see the main competition as the other casinos in Atlantic City. And the best mm-hmm. way to sort of increase their revenue is to take revenue away from another casino. Um, yep. But what I think what that attitude, one of the big problems that that attitude creates is that it, casinos can get kind of stale, right? Like you've got the existing players and even the new players come in and are just trying to sort of play the same game as the other ones, but do it a little better. And I think my hope for something like Hard Rock or 10, and especially this, is that they change the dynamic a little bit. Like they're not necessarily here just to say – oh, we can make money because we can do what, say, Bally's does better than Bally's, or we can do, like, 10, I think, very much thought we can do what Borgata does better than Borgata, and they're proven horribly wrong. (laughs) Um, And so, like, sort of expanding it to where it's, like, we're going to get people in who maybe weren't coming to Atlantic City, or we're going to get people in because it's it's newer and better, and actually is newer and better. (laughs) Like, I think that's that's what sort of moves the whole city forward. Um, And I think it was was Nicholas Huber or Christian Hedrick on their podcast, the Press of Atlantic City podcast, uh, said something about, like, this Hard Rock specifically, like, forcing other casinos to step up their game and seeing it and saying, like, oh, if Hard Rock's going to come in and be awesome, like, it's not enough for Bally's just to have a few Jubilee rooms. Like, we need to also do something really awesome, you know? So that's kind of where the long-term excitement comes in. Uh, anything, anything else on Dolphin Village? Yeah. I think I think we're good. I think we'll kind of, you know, take a wait and see approach as as always. It's like our refrain here on the podcast. So yeah. we'll, I I hope it's not one of those things where we got this news and we don't hear anything about it for six months. Like, like I hope ever they, again. Yeah, I hope they yeah. keep us updated. I think with Hard Rock we're gonna get fairly consistent updates just because it's such a big deal. I hope with this we get some yeah. more um, as time goes on. All right. So the last piece of news it looks like we have. Uh, Food Network star personality, uh, Chef Michael Simon, is opening Angeline in the Borgata on May 6th. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be dinner only, closed on Tuesdays. Um, I don't know. What do you have to say about this, Craig? This is kind of more up your alley than mine. Yeah, they're, so they're accepting reservations now. Um, the cuisine is listed as inspired Italian with the ambiance of sophisticated vintage. I don't really know what either of those things mean. <laughs> like, that is... Like, let's just throw whatever, and is that an adjective? Like, ad- <laughs> yes, that is an adjective. <laughs> I forget what it's called major, when a verb becomes an adjective, but there's, uh, yeah, there's so, words for these uh, You know, that kind of stuff, I'm always like, oh, gosh, whatever. <laughs> um, but certainly, Michael Simon comes with a lot of uh, prior experience and a lot of uh, cachet, if you will. Uh, do you have any interest in going to this place? I know Italian is not your jam. Um, yeah, and like super high end dining is also not really my jam. So, see, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be quote like quite super high end. I don't know. Um, really, I expect I it's, it's going to be more than Fornaletto, which will be closing. <laughs> I well, we'll see. I mean. Michael Simon is definitely someone who's very, very well known and, and highly respected. So, uh, well, we'll have to see. I mean, if it's like reasonably priced, like yeah, I'd totally go. If it's super high end, then I'm less interested probably. But 
I mean, like, here's here's the thing, right? Like, if it's actually like a legitimately great experience, like, I'll I'll give it a shot. But I mean, I think many times with these chef owned like like celebrity chef restaurants, you know, that's not really you're you're paying not for the experience necessarily, but for the name. So yeah, so to me, I think also super high end. I think more of like Thomas Keller. Like Robuchon, mm-hmm. like those kind of places, not yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't not a Food Network star. Yeah, so I don't. I I expect that this is not like that level, but it's probably more than. I mean, like whatever it was, Gordon Ramsay was mm-hmm. certainly not super high end, but it was more expensive than it should have been. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. So, so I expect that this will be in that realm. But Borgata, I will say, you know, their dining options are very good. So I don't like a place like this, just because it has a celebrity chef name attached is not going to survive there. If it's just, well, this is the celebrity chef place. Like you got to go there because it's, it's Michael Simon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be good stuff. It'll be good. It's cer- certainly, it'll definitely be good. I'm not, I'm not worried at all about that. We'll see what the prices are when it, when it opens. Yeah. I mean, but it's not someplace that I'm putting on my like must go list. No. Well, we'll see. We'll see what people say. I mean, I don't think that any restaurant could be coming into Atlantic City and it would go on my must-go list before it opens. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any... I can't think of any, like, chef or anything that would would make that happen. You know, because for us, like, you know, like Iron Room, I wouldn't have even heard about before it opened. Like, it opened and it got some buzz and that's why now it's like, oh, I really need to go there, so... Right, it's, and like that, a lot be. of that buzz that a lot of what I hear about that is just because that guy is like around Atlantic City, he's doing a lot for the city, and you know that that plays a lot into my desire to go check out Iron Room, like right. super honestly. And it's supposed to be good as well, but yeah, I mean it's supposed to be good, sort of like unique menu, like frequently changing menu, cool mm-hmm. atmosphere because it's in a lots of booze, answer. yeah, lots of booze, which is good cocktail list. Yeah, uh, close this thing out. Are we done? Yeah, I think that we are over time again, like always. <laughs> like always. Yes. Yeah, we um, talked some about some non-news stuff that we didn't. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. We talked quite a bit at the beginning. Um, all right. So thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to kind of join us and some of our other listeners and some uh, interesting conversation, you can do so at, in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash do for a win. Uh, you can find our website, which we talked about at the beginning of the episode, at doforawin.com. Uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and maybe YouTube, Craig? Maybe YouTube? Yeah, I mentioned it last episode and didn't do it, so I wouldn't get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> and YouTube. I'll say it now. Ah, oh, damn it. it. Okay. Um, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at do for a win or send us questions at win at gmail.com. And uh, I guess we will be talking to you guys in, I don't know, a week and a half probably, something like that. Sound good, Craig? Yeah, it sounds good. Good luck if you are going to Atlantic City. Good luck if you're going to Atlantic City Beer Fest. Yeah, if you're going to the Beer Fest, have one. Have one for me. Yeah, have more than one. I know I know you will. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. work hit me up for something and i was writing back to them and then you asked me something and i was like oh shit (laughs) awesome it was something to do with uh like when we were talking about the optimism in ac i was like i don't know what you just said for the last two minutes oh i thought your answer was totally coherent and made sense yes i did it again being married has its benefits (laughs) (laughs) you've been preparing for this moment for years